Good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, I've missed this place. It's been a while. It's good to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I have kind of felt the similar kind of feeling, even watching this video, just, I feel like there's this place that God wants to, to take me with in my life. There's these things that he wants to do within me, but if I'm honest, I don't ever really feel like I actually end up there, you know? I feel like there's something that gets in the way, some kind of barrier that just keeps buttoning up against and, and not allowing me to get to that place, and there's a bit of frustration that, that happens there, and... Um, I, I know that God wants this resurrection life for me. I know he wants this new way of living for me, but sometimes it's very hard to actually actually end up there. You know, this series that we're in right now, this series called Resurrect Me, we're going to be looking at all the different ways that we, if we're honest with ourselves, find ourselves not in the place that we'd really like to be. And we find ourselves in maybe a place that, that God would not like for us to be. And maybe even for some of us, we, we see like it's just somewhere over the horizon, there's this place that we could go, this place we could end up if we allowed ourselves to be worked in and through by God himself. But too often, I'm afraid, I've seen it in my own life, that I don't allow that. We've recently done a book here at the church as a staff, um, and we did what's called an Enneagram, a personality test. It's been so helpful for a lot of us in the church, and even my wife and I, we've done it at home, and it's been so helpful to just kind of discover, like, okay, here's some pieces and parts of who I am, and potentially this explains a lot of the things that I struggle with kind of day in and day out. And what I've found in my life, if I really want to grow, there has to be kind of an honest, sober self-assessment of who I am, where I find myself, and maybe where God wants to take me. We're in the midst of a season right now called Lent. 40 days leading up to the celebration of Easter. And during Lent, a lot of us, maybe even in the room this morning, you decided to go without certain things. You've purged, you've fasted, you've done away with for some reason because you believe God wants to do something in you and through you. Maybe you've decided no chocolate and you're struggling for 40 days. And maybe some of you, you've decided no caffeine for 40 days and your spouse is like, please, could you have chosen something else, you know? And the reason we, we celebrate the season every single year is because we want to remind ourselves that when we, when we purge ourselves and we go without, when we say no to these things, it reminds us to the things that we can say yes to in Christ. We want to live a resurrection life, but the only way this takes place is by God being able to work in us and through us and by us being honest about where we find ourselves. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is what this whole series is birthed through, and it says this. The writer says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself up for me. This doesn't happen by sheer willpower. This is not a self-help type of sermon. We can't will ourselves to become better people. That's not how this works. What takes place is us saying, hey, listen, the old life, the old way of living, we crucify it to the cross of Christ, believing that in that death, we experience new life. That's the season of Lent. That's the celebration of Easter. And that's what we experience through the resurrected life. And so this morning, we are together going to pull back the curtain. We're going to drag some stuff out and we're going to decide this is the very thing that needs to be nailed to the cross so I can experience new life. Last week, we kicked this whole series off, and uh, the pastors spoke about anger. Anyone in the room can relate to anger as a part of their life? It's not like the happiest thing to talk about it before. We're truthful. A lot of us, we have this certain anger that exists for whatever reason. And too often, that anger keeps us from living into the kind of life that God has for us. And Galatians says that anger is going to be crucified with Christ to experience new life, resurrection life. 
This morning, the, the vice, the difficulty, the struggle, the sin that I want to talk about is something that's very, very sneaky. And the thing is, it's so sneaky that I know that every single person in this room at some point or another has, has wrestled with this. And the reason I know that you've wrestled with this particular thing is because I've wrestled with this particular thing. So I, I have a couple of gifts that I want to hand out in the room this morning. I'm going to choose a few people that I want to give this to. Oh, Brian, you look like you want this. I'm going to, yeah, there you go. You're welcome. Just wait. Okay, so um, don't open that yet, by the way. Here you go. Here, you, you could use that. Good. Okay, I'm going to come around the back. Don't worry, guys. Just be a few seconds. Don't open it yet. But I do want to say that this thing that I'm giving out right now, I can guarantee you, you'll be the only four people in the world that I know that have this particular thing. I mean, this thing, oh, Glenn, yes. Yeah, you're welcome. So this particular thing is, is literally priceless. And in fact, I know that this particular thing, if you hold on to it long enough, it'll only get more and more valuable as time goes on. This little gift that I've given out is extremely special. Very, very special. I don't know anybody else that has this thing. So go ahead and open your, your gift. Listen, those things are serious envelopes. It's going to take a little bit of time. And we'll show on the screen what you guys have received right here. Yes, you are welcome. I said it was priceless. You're, you're welcome, Brian. Yeah. Hey, hold on to that. It'll be worth something maybe someday. But here, here's the truth. Maybe in the room when I handed these things out, before you knew what it was, because now you're trying to get rid of it, but before you knew what it was, maybe there were some of the people in the room who were like, man, I wish you would have given that to me. I only had four of them. There's a lot of people in this room this morning. Maybe as I handed out, you thought, oh, man, just, okay, I'd love to have, just want to see what's inside, you know? And now you're like, oh, I'm so glad you didn't give that to me. But this happens in our life all the time. I mean, sometimes it's funny like this, but sometimes it's actually really serious. I mean, sometimes it could be a thing. It could be an accolade. It could be all kinds of stuff. And when we determine around us that there are people that somehow have received something that we don't have, but the playing ground is no longer level anymore. What oftentimes raises up within us is some kind of jealousy, a bit of envy. And maybe this jealousy this morning, maybe you felt it in your heart just, just a little bit. Man, I wish I'd love to have that thing right there. Maybe you had a little bit of bitterness realizing there's only four of these things and potentially you were not going to get one of these things. And when the playing ground becomes uneven, when we deem that someone has received something that we would like to have ourselves, but we've not received it, we oftentimes have this unpleasant kind of response, this envy, this jealousy. And we all know about envy, don't we? We've all felt it before at some point in time or another. And it's, it's actually one of the most primal responses that humans have to anything. If you have a child, when that child was a baby, do you have to teach them how to be envious? No. It just comes with the baby. It just happens. I mean, jealousy is just something that's within all of us. In fact, the scriptures say that the advent of sin itself, guess what it came through? Envy. Satan himself wanted the throne that God had, and so he rebelled against him. Even man and woman, the first people on earth, they had this tree that was in the garden they were forbidden to take part in, and they became envious, and they wanted what that was. I believe this morning that envy is, is the gateway sin to almost every other sin that you'll experience. And truth be told, envy is the kind of thing that kicks open the door to all kinds of awful attitudes and feelings and things that we do. I think the only way, I truly think the only way that we can experience wholeness within our life is we have to allow God to begin to search our hearts and be able to root out all the pieces and, and parts of us 
that keep us from growing in him. We have to become very, very honest with ourselves. Yes, here, there's a bit of anger right here, God. And if you would come in and you would take it from me, if you would nail it to the cross, I could experience resurrection life. There's a bit of envy, a bit of jealousy here, God. If you would come in and you would take this from me, I could experience resurrection life. I believe that envy or jealousy in its most basic form can be found in our inability to celebrate in other person's good fortune. Envy, in the end, I think, is our inability to celebrate another person's good fortune. When somebody else has something good happen to them, and, and instead of responding maybe positively, we respond negatively. We get envious. We get jealous. And maybe this morning you might even say to me, I don't struggle with envy. I don't struggle with jealousy. I'm past all that thing. That was like third grade. I'm, I've moved on from that. Until your neighbor gets the new car and you don't. And you walk out, and just for a moment, oh, man, that'd been nice. Or maybe, maybe that coworker that you work with, they get the promotion that you've been working so hard for. You thought you deserved it, but they got it. Or that friend of yours, they move on to the nice house on the lake, and you've always wanted to live on lakes. So you go over and you see it, and inside you're like crying tears because you wish you were sitting here. Or maybe it's that guy that started dating somebody else, or that girl that started dating someone else, or someone gets the credit for the hard work that you've put in, or Maybe you look on Facebook, and that lady with three kids just like you has a clean living room. How is that possible? My living room doesn't look like that. Maybe you didn't make the sports team. or Maybe you're stuck with the iPhone 6 while everybody else has the 10 or whatever. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, there are all kinds of things and situations and, and circumstances that we find ourselves in that if we're not careful, we become envious and we become jealous. And we have the inability to celebrate in another person's good fortune. If we're honest, we're not envious just because someone else has something that we don't. We're actually frustrated that it's theirs at all, that they have it to begin with. One of the first times I can remember really being really jealous and envious as a kid was when my parents were in missions for about four or five years. We lived in Texas, and my parents worked with a mission organization there. And they didn't get paid by that organization. The only way that we got money was through people around the country who would, who would support us monthly to be a part of God's work in the world. And it would be an understatement to say that we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> um, and I remember very vividly going to school and sitting down with my lunchbox and seeing everybody else pull out their lunchboxes at the table and watching them open their things and contents in there and me being so self-conscious by the stuff that I had in my bag versus what they had in theirs. I remember very clearly, we didn't shop at the same stores that all my friends shopped at when I was a kid. We would go to the discount food place, and we would buy food from that location because it was too expensive to go to the other place. And so I would search high and low to try to find something that looked exactly like a Swiss cake roll, you know? And inevitably, you never find the exact same thing. And the meat that I had on my sandwich was not exactly Oscar Mayer. It was, it was a bit of an un, uneven playing ground that I was dealing with day in and day out when I would go to school. And I remember very clearly opening that, that lunch bag and just feeling like there was something wrong here. Like I didn't quite add up and there was everything that I had was a lesser quality. And I remember not just being upset that I didn't have what they had, but I was actually upset and frustrated they had that at all. I mean, how, how was that fair? And I remember, I remember growing up and being so envious of this. And I wish things were this simple still. I wish it was just a lunchbox that I was jealous over. But the truth is it gets just bigger and bigger and bigger and more expensive and more difficult to come by. It's not so simple anymore. And I believe that I suffered from, and I honestly still suffer from, and potentially this morning you suffer from, a scarcity mentality. A lot of us, if we're honest, the, where, the place this jealousy and this envy come from is because we believe there's only so much good in the world. 
And if someone else receives something good, whether it's a thing or an accolade or a praise, that means there must be less to go around for me. It's a scarcity mentality. A lot of us, if we're honest, we walk around day to day with just a low-grade envy boiling just below the surface as we see people with things that we would love to have. And for a lot of us, we have kind of a, 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 not just a cup half-empty kind of mentality, but we wonder who drank the other half that I had. That's the kind of frustration that we have. And when we have the inability to celebrate someone else's good fortune, potentially what we're really wrestling with is envy and jealousy. The ancient philosopher Iamblichus said it this way, People do not find it pleasant to give honor to someone else, for they suppose that they themselves are being deprived of something. It's hard to praise someone else when you feel like there's only so much to go around. And if it goes to them, then potentially it doesn't come to me. You know, what I've found in my life is that my mentality, the way that I live, the things that I do, the things that I say, if I'm honest, mostly can trace themselves back to and originate from my view of who God is and what he is like. The things that I choose to do, the things that I speak, the way that I live, if I'm honest, it comes back to the kind of God that I think exists and the kind of way that he interacts with me. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story that you're, if you've grown up in the church, you're very familiar with, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And in the story that Jesus tells, he talks about this wealthy landowner who has a big estate, and he's got two sons, an older one and a younger one. And the story goes, the, old, the younger son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I would love to have my half of the estate right now, essentially saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And this estate owner, this father, gives him that half of the estate. And the Bible says this young man takes all that he was given. He goes off to a foreign land. He squanders it all, wastes it all in wild living, and eventually finds himself in a pig pen wondering how he got here. And he decides he's going to go home. He's going he's to apologize to his dad. And if he could, his dad would just let him be a slave in the home, then he would, that would be fine. And so he treks back home. But before he can get to the house, the father runs off the porch and meets him in the driveway. And he's not angry. He's not frustrated. The Bible says that he throws a party, puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger. He kills the fattened calf. He spares no expense in celebrating the fact that his son was once lost, and now he's found. He was once gone, and now he's home. And you would think this would be how everyone in the family would have celebrated when this son comes home, but not everybody feels this way. Maybe the lesser known part of the story is that there's another brother. It's the older brother. He doesn't exactly feel the same way as his dad does about his younger son, younger brother coming home. The story says that when the brother comes home, they start this big party. The older brother's in the field, responsibly, by the way, doing exactly what he should have done, taking care of the homestead. And he hears the music, he hears the laughter, he hears everyone enjoying what's going on. He comes back to the house, he has a confrontation with his father. He won't go in and enjoy the food. He won't go enjoy the party and the music. He blasts his father instead by saying, how could you do this for, for my brother when you've not even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends? Who doesn't want a goat to celebrate with your friends? And he's frustrated. He's angry with his father. But listen to the father's response, what he says to the older brother. He looks at him and he says, you have always stayed with me. And then he says something so profound. He says, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate your brother coming home. All that I have is yours. You see, this older brother, I believe, has a certain view of what his father is like. He believes his father is stingy. He believes his father is selfish. But what does the father tell him? 
Everything that I have is yours. It's always been yours. Now, I would love to say this story ends in a really positive kind of way, but it doesn't. I mean, when Jesus tells this story, it just kind of abruptly stops. The father and the older son are talking outside the party, and the father says, listen, all that I have is yours. We have to celebrate your your brother coming home. And then nothing else. It doesn't say, gee, dad, gee whiz, you're right. Let's go in and do the Cupid shuffle. (laughs) The brother doesn't respond like this. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to his listeners, and maybe to us this morning as well, what kind of father do you believe in? What kind of God do you think you have? Do you believe you have a God who is stingy and selfish? Or or do you believe a God and a God who says, listen, all that I have has always been yours. All that I have is yours. I would venture to say that the times that we struggle most with envy and jealous attitudes... I believe that it comes back to the view of our Heavenly Father and what we think about Him and how He interacts with us and the people around us. I have a little boy who's six named Eli, and he's in the room, and he's wonderful. And recently, my wife and I have been talking about certain things, and both my boys are way into basketball right now, so they'll play basketball constantly in the room. Reed Bull lives right behind me. He tells me all the time. All he hears is basketballs bouncing over and over. They love playing and Owen has finally gotten old enough where he can actually make a basket. And so occasionally my wife and I will be talking and be like, wow, Owen had a good basket today. He really shot well. And here's what Eli does. Are you saying I didn't shoot well? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, no, no. Just because we say that Owen shot well doesn't mean that we don't think the exact same thing about you. We have a scarcity mentality believing that if something good happens to someone else, If someone gets something, if there's some kind of praise, that just means that there's less to go around for all of us. Here's what I'm learning right now in my life, that we have a God who is incredibly generous. You know, if we got what we all deserved because of the wrong that we've done and the sin that we've committed, if we got what we deserved, we would deserve death. But every single one of us in here this morning, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. And as sons and daughters of this father, here's what he says to us. All that I have is yours. There's more than enough. You know, what I'm finding is that maybe my inability to celebrate someone else's good fortune is keeping me from recognizing the good that I have in my life. Maybe, maybe it's, it's keeping me from really resonating with God, what God has done in my life. You see, envy, I believe, is a threat to our joy. And envy is a threat to our concern for people. Jesus demonstrates this in another story that he tells. We read it earlier, the first beginning part of the story in Matthew chapter 20. And the story goes, there's a a wealthy landowner, and he's going out to find people to come help work at the land. And he starts out early. And he finds people at the very beginning, and he says, hey, listen, if you come work my land, I'll give you a denarius. It's a fair wage for the day. So people come, and they begin to work the land. And the story goes, this landowner goes over and over, hour after hour, finding more people to come and work the land until the very end, 5 p.m., yet more people come to work the land. But here's what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 9 through 12, when they finally come back for pay time. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon at the very end came, and they each received a denarius. So when they came, who were hired first, they expected what? To receive more than that. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, 
they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Listen, at the very beginning, when they got hired to work that full day to get a denarius, everything was good. They were joyful. They had work. They had something to do today. And everything was fine until what? The people who came at the very end got the exact same thing as they got. All of a sudden, everything seems unfair now. Man, I would love to tell you I don't suffer from this, but I'm like the worst about this. There are days where I look at my life and I'm like, my life's wonderful. I got a wonderful wife, got two children, everything's cool, got food in the pantry, everything's awesome. Until I see someone else who has something more, better, or greater than me. And all of a sudden, guess what happens to my joy? Right out the window. Man, I hate it. The next day I get I get it back together again. I'm like, thank you, God. I'm so this is great. This is wonderful. I see someone else once again, and sure enough, there goes my joy, simply because there's unlevel playing ground. Envy and jealousy is a threat to our joy. Most people that I come in contact with here at the church and the community who don't have joy in their life, in the end, it really comes back to them feeling like somehow they lack something that is essential to life. It's essential for me to be happy. I I need this to find joy. I lived overseas when I was uh, uh, in middle school in the Dominican Republic for some months, and I've gone back probably 12, 14 times since I've been gone. I've taken students from this church to serve in the Dominican, and every time that I go and I sit down with these families, we eat a meal together, we do ministry, we serve people in the Dominican for weeks at a time. Every single time, the thing I'm most shocked by, the thing that I'm most blown away by, is these people, they don't have any Wi-Fi. It's not just that it's difficult to get where I'm at. It doesn't exist. They don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have a 401k. They don't have keys to a new car. They may not have a car at all. These people, they, they don't have carpet in their living room because potentially they just have dirt on their floor in their living room. They don't have running water. They don't have a vacation home. They don't have the new iPhone. But what I've found every time that I go and I spend time with these folks, guess what they do have? Joy like I've never experienced in my life. Now, not everyone, mind you, but many people that I come across in these foreign countries who don't have what I have don't suffer from the same kind of anxiety that I suffer from. And they know what it's like to be joyful. You see, my question would simply be this. What if some of the things that we think are essential to be happy and joyful aren't actually necessary, aren't actually essentials, See, many of us, we may be tempted to ignore the fact that we have jealousy or envy in our life, believing that it's not really that big of a deal. Everybody's jealous. Everybody has some kind of envy of something. I saw a guy at the 9 o'clock service had an amazing beard. I was like, man, I love that beard. And we're all tempted to just feel like it's not that big of a deal. But the truth is, it's a very big deal. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says it this way, maybe, maybe most clearly, A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy does what? Rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. Man, I've felt this before. See, envy has this weird way of going deep within us somewhere, and it does something to us that that is a bit of a rotting of the bones. In fact, the word envy, if you go to its Greek kind of origination, the, the main word that it comes from, guess what it means? To decay or to rot. I told the contemporary room last or a couple weeks ago when I was preaching that when I was a kid, um, I had a major issue with dentists. I, I don't like dentists. And if you're a dentist, in the, I don't dislike you. I just, the whole thing just really bugs me. When I was a kid, I had a, a cavity. And so I went to the dentist to take care of it. And they, they took the cavity out and put a filling in. Everything was fine. 
And a few years later, probably three or four years later, one day I'm sitting at a Chinese restaurant in Lexington, Kentucky with my family, and I say to my mom, Mom, I have a, I have a hole in my tooth. My mom says, you don't, have a, you don't have a hole in your tooth. I mean, I have a hole in my tooth. So sure enough, she walks over, she looks in my mouth. The side of my tooth, I have a huge gaping hole right in the side of the tooth. And it turns out the dentist, when he went in to take out the cavity years ago, didn't get all of the cavity. And so for years, it just ate away and ate away inside of my tooth. So I had this very traumatic experience having to go back and it took two thirds of my tooth and most of this tooth in the back still is nothing but fake. It's not a real thing. And it was so traumatic that today still I'm like, you have laughing gas? I would love whatever you have. I would, if I'm going to be in here, I need some help. Here's what I know. If I would have, if I would have taken care of that issue a long time ago, if I would have realized there was, there was something in there and I felt, if I would have gone through the trouble of rooting it out, getting it out, I wouldn't have had the trouble that I had much, much later on. Envy and jealousy is the exact same kind of way. You can't just find envy and jealousy and get part of it out. You have to root it out completely. Allow Jesus to go deep into your life to make sure that it doesn't rot away at your bones. It doesn't go to the core of who you are. Proverbs 14.30 I know people who have spent most of their life, unfortunately, trying to keep up with the Joneses. I know a lot of people who they keep score with everyone around them. They look at everything and they want to know how they measure up. And sometimes I'm afraid that we can try so hard to be someone else that we are never actually our genuine selves. We, we think constantly about being this other person or having this other life. And so we never actually enjoy the life that we've been given. What if, what if so much of our energy is going towards wishing that we had someone else's life that we miss out on what God has given us? What if we wish so badly that our family was like this family and our children maybe like those children and because of that we missed out on the spouse that God has given us and the children that God has given us? What if we're so busy criticizing people for whatever reason but deep down it's because we're really just jealous that we miss out on knowing what it's like to live a life without competition? And what if we were to stop believing that God was holding out on us but instead trust that he has our best interest in mind? And if he can give good to someone else, then he can give good to us. I believe God has a resurrection plan for each and every one of us. I believe he wants to mold us and shape us and change us into the people that he wants us to be. But envy and jealousy are two things, along with anger, that will keep us from going to that place that God wants us to go. And so Jesus finishes this story about this landowner and these workers who had come by and had gotten frustrated because they got paid the same with the response from the landowner. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 13 through 15, the Bible says this, But the landowner answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my money? Or are you what? What's it say? Envious, because I'm generous. Or are you envious, because I am generous. Let's just come back to our inability to celebrate someone else's good fortune. When I had just graduated college, I had a relationship that I had had for quite a while, and it, it, it didn't work out. It had ended. And I, for a long time, was very frustrated, very angry even, about that, how that whole thing had gone down. I thought about it often, and, and the worst part was this person that I had been in a relationship with actually found a new boyfriend, and so they, they had a whole new relationship going on. So it wasn't just that I didn't have it, but it was like she had something else. And so I was so frustrated. And I remember driving back and forth from Indiana to South Carolina often because my family still lived in Indiana. It was 12 hours by yourself. And if you struggle with envy or jealousy, 12 hours by yourself in a car is like the worst place to be ever. 
because you're driving just thinking on it and it's going to the bones, you know, it's going deep. And so I remember I was driving back to South Carolina, I was going through Tennessee and I felt so clearly God say to me, you need to call that person. I was like, there is no way I'm calling that person because I'm, I'm so frustrated and I'm angry. And I don't even know what I'd say if I would call that person. And almost as me, immediately as I thought that God said to me, you need to call them and you need to tell them you're happy for them. I was like, whoa, not happening. Two reasons, I'm not. And the other reason, I'm not. So I'm not doing it. But God just kept speaking to me and kept like tapping at my heart that this is something I needed to do. And so sure enough, I, I finally decided, you know what, I'll do it. And so I, I pulled my phone out and I called this person and she answered. I said, hey, listen, I just, need, I just want you to know that I'm really happy for you. Like I'm really happy for the life that you have now. And she said, thank you. I said, um, that's all. <laughs> I have nothing else to say. And she's like, okay. And I said, well, bye. Hung up. But I'll be honest with you. Somewhere in the mountains of Tennessee, making that one phone call and being able to say that I was happy, actually happy for the good that had come to her life, it did something to me. It released me from this weird kind of envy and this jealousy that had been eating me alive for who knows how long. It made me realize that if God can, be, can do something good in that person's life, then that means he can do something good in my life. You see, the reason that we can celebrate the good in other people's lives is not because they have something that you don't have and so you're happy about it. You celebrate the fact that they have something good that has come to them because we have a God who is generous. And if he can be good to, the, get to them, guess what? He can be good to us. I don't know about you, but that's worth celebrating. That's the kind of God that I believe we have. That's the kind of father that I believe we have. One who looks at us and says to us, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. I believe there are two ways that we can experience this new resurrection life within our life. The first one is we have to crucify the comparison. We have to begin to crucify the comparison. For a lot of us, the reason that we're envious and the reason that we're jealous is because we look at people around us and we, we see all that they have and we begin to compare our life to theirs. And here's really the problem. For a lot of us, I know because I see people do it. You're on Facebook all day long and you're watching people's lives happen before you. You're on Instagram and you're watching people's lives happen before you. And so what you're doing is you're looking and you're saying, that woman has three kids just like me, but her life's like put together. Mine's a mess. And you're looking at people and the, the wonderful food they just ate. And I'm like, what am I eating? I'm like, chicken nuggets in here. Like, we have this comparison thing happening. And here's the problem. What you're comparing to is not even reality. It's not even reality. Because what you're comparing to is, is you're comparing your daily life to someone else's highlight reel. And your daily life will never compare to it. It will always be better than, than what you do day in and day out. Because what you don't see is what happens before or after that picture is taken and posted somewhere. The comparison, it's not fair because it's not reality. Even within relationships and marriages, I mean, there are things that can creep in and become a comparison that, that, will, that will rot that from the inside out. I mean, pornography and affairs, both emotional and physical, these are the kind of things that cause us to then compare our spouse to something that, again, is just fantasy. It's not reality. And your spouse will never measure up because they can't. We have to crucify the comparison. And for some of us, we're actually comparing our current situation with someone else's current situation. And maybe for us, we've not actually done the hard work to get to where that person is, but we compare anyway. 
I remember when I first got into ministry, I would look at other pastors who are, who are far down the road from me. I'd be like, man, I would love to have a huge church and write a book and do all this stuff. And then I realized I'm 19 years old. <laughs> I haven't done anything yet. And if I find myself comparing my life to this other life, I'm not even done the hard work of getting to that location, that place. I'm always going to be frustrated, envious, and jealous. So you can look at someone else and say, man, they got more debt than I do. I wish I had less debt. Like they, Yeah, but they've been paying it off for years. Or I wish I had a relationship like they have. Their relationship is wonderful and, and perfect and beautiful. And mine's just a mess. And maybe because they have gone through the hard work, they've met with people, they've gone through counselors, they've worked hard at it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe for some of us, we're looking at the health of someone else, and maybe we realize maybe we've got to get off the couch, put on some running shoes, and go. We can't compare ourselves to things that in the end aren't even reality, or we've not done the hard work of getting to ourselves. Crucify the comparison. And number two, we must come alive to contentment. Come alive to contentment. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. He says, I know what it's like to have been in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here's the secret that I think Paul had found. Paul knew how to be grateful He knew how to have gratitude within his life. Yeah, I mean, if we just keep looking at other people and being upset and frustrated at what we don't have, then we're going to find envy and jealousy continually being a problem for us and continually keeping us from the resurrection life that God has for us. But if we come to life to contentment and gratitude, it changes everything. Just a few days ago, we were playing basketball in my driveway. You see the theme here? We do this a lot right now. We were playing basketball in the driveway, and it started getting very late, and the sun was going to start to go down. And so my son Eli went inside, and I was outside with Owen, my younger son. And Owen wanted to walk down to the landing. We live in a neighborhood. We don't live on the lake, but just five houses down from us, there's a little landing right there at the lake. And so he wanted to walk down. I said, well, that'd be wonderful. Right before the sun goes down, I'll, I'll grab my fishing pole, and we'll walk down there. So Owen and I trotted down to the, to the landing, and we got inside the gate. And as soon as we got inside the gate, there were about four trucks, really nice trucks, with trailers on the back with no boats on them. Guess why? Because they were on their boats in the lake somewhere, enjoying the lake. And instantly my mind did this. What kind of person lives in a neighborhood with a landing and doesn't have a boat? Oh, yeah, this guy. I don't have a boat, and these, guys, these people have like really nice boats, and they're enjoying the lake, and here I am walking down to the landing to really do nothing with my three-year-old son. I've got a fishing pole, and that's all I've got, and so I decided, well, let's just fish. Maybe we'll catch something, and then I'll stop thinking about that. So we walk down to the, the water's edge, and we start casting, only to realize that somewhere along the basketball process, a basketball must have hit the top of the pole and broke the pole, the fiberglass, in half. So I tried to cast the pole, and it would only go about five feet in the water because my pole didn't work anymore. So instantly I'm like, okay, I don't have a boat. That's, that's strike number one. Now I don't have a functional fishing pole down here at the water. I mean, everything's just falling apart. It's like, I got so worked up and so frustrated that I was ready to go back. We'd just gotten there. So I'm about to grab Owen to walk home. But before I can leave with him, all of a sudden he says, hey, Dad, can we watch the sun go down? And I looked up, and right on that landing, right in front of me, was the most beautiful sky. And I thought to myself, I don't have a boat I don't even have a functioning fishing pole, but I have, I have a sun, and I have a sunset, and maybe that's enough. Maybe it's enough for right now. So we did. We sat down on the concrete, and we watched the sun go down. It was beautiful. 
We walked back to the house, <laughs> broken fishing pole and everything. And I would love to say that ever since that day, I've been so thankful every single day, but it's not true. And jealousy and, and envy creep its way back in. It's sneaky, like I said. But if we can constantly remind ourselves to kill, to crucify the comparison, to come alive, to being content within our life and grateful, not looking at what we don't have, but seeing what we do have, maybe that would change everything for us. In fact, I believe if we would do that, it would, it would change who you are and how you function. I think then it would, it would in turn impact your family and change the way your family thinks and functions. It would change then, if it's your family, it would change your community and the way you think and function. And I don't think it's too much to say that if it changes a community, it can change a world. Just through being grateful. Just through doing away with envy and jealousy and coming alive to the resurrection life that Jesus has for us. So I have one final question for today and really honestly throughout this entire series. It's very simple, but it's eaten me alive for the past three days. Who could I be if I were to crucify the old self? What kind of person could I be if I was willing to allow Jesus into my life and take care of the old? To root out the anger that exists within my life and replace it with something good. To take away the envy and the jealousy and help me be really truly grateful and content. What kind of person would I be? What kind of dad would my kids have? What kind of husband would I be to my wife? What kind of pastor could I be at this church if I allow God to do that kind of stuff in my life? So this morning, I want to challenge all of us, including myself, as we leave here today, kill, crucify the comparison. Don't let it creep back in. And come alive to contentment today. Take account of the things that God has given you that's good and thank him for it and be grateful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you are the kind of father, you are the kind of God who looks at us and says, all that I have is yours. As we look around us, God, and we get so frustrated by seeing the good that has gone to someone else, help us to come to realize and recognize, God, there's enough to go around. So Father, thank you for the things that you've given me personally. Thank you for the things that you've given the folks in this room. Help us to use those things, God, for your glory and for your honor. Help us to enjoy them thoroughly, Lord. So, God, we thank you for your love. Would you move in our lives? Would you resurrect us? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.